Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. We are here on episode 223, and we are so excited that you're here. Glad that you are joining us as we are getting into the uh, second month of the year. Hope your 2019 is going well. Whether this is your first time listening or you've been listening to all 223 episodes throughout the journey, we're really, really glad that you're here. Whether you're just getting started as a speaker, you're brand new, or you've been at it for a while and you're trying to figure out how to continue to build and grow your speaking business, you have come to the right place. Now, if you haven't joined us before for one of our upcoming trainings, you definitely need to do that. You definitely need to stop by and check out freespeakerworkshop.com. Again, that's freespeakerworkshop.com. We host these trainings literally every single day. It is a training that we're going to walk through a step-by-step process of exactly how you can find and book paid speaking engagement. So definitely check it out. Again, you can find that over at freespeakerworkshop.com. Now today, we're going to be talking with Joe Hirsch, and we're going to be talking about a, a unique and sometimes oftentimes intimidating skill, cold calling. So we're going to be talking about it in the context of, of using it to secure book endorsements or getting one-on-one interviews or to book speaking gigs, to land writing gigs. And so this is, again, this is a really hard but critical skill that all speakers need to have in order to open doors and create opportunities. So in our conversation today, Joe's going to walk through his four-step process for cold calling, for reaching out to potential clients, really kind of demystifying it for you and uh, making it a little bit simpler for making those connections with people. All right. So uh, let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with Mr. Joe Hirsch. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, my friends? Grant here today, joined by Joe Hirsch, who is a uh, speaker who's up and coming in the world and has really uh, quickly booked a lot of gigs. And so we're going to be talking about his speaking journey and story, as well as some specific strategies he's going to be teaching us today about cold calling. So Joe, thanks for hanging out with us today, man. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing, Grant? Doing quite well. So you were mentioning beforehand, I didn't really, like you'd listened to nearly every single episode of the show, huh? I consider myself a fanboy. Really appreciate all the great work that uh, that you've done, and and I've had the chance to actually meet in person and online a lot of the guests that you've had on the show, uh, cool. and they're fantastic as well. So kudos for this resource. Cool, man. Well, uh, appreciate it and uh, glad we've been able to help a little bit. So, so let's start with this. Kind of give us a, a snapshot of your business and who you speak to, what you speak about, and then uh, we'll go from there. So I've been speaking about eighteen months. I come out of the education and training and development background. And my talks are focused on high performance feedback and communication. I speak primarily in the HR, sales, and leadership space. But because of my background in education and leadership, I've also been pretty active in the education market as well. So background education leadership, like what, what kind of stuff were you doing in there? What do you tell me more about that? Started as a classroom teacher, moved into administration, and then into coaching. So really soup to nuts, everything from 
lesson design to uh, helping teachers become better instructors and better professionals. So is the bulk of the speaking that you do today in the education market? Actually not. Surprisingly, uh, because of some of the things that I've done outside of the educational space, my message has really resonated with HR, okay. with sales, and with leadership, which is on the one hand surprising, but maybe when we get into the whole cold call thing, not so much. I did about 15 paid gigs plus consulting in 2018, but as we come up on 2019, I'm looking to rebalance things and make speaking a much bigger part of my portfolio. Cool. So how did you first get into speaking? So, because uh, it sounds like if you're, you're come from a, uh, an education background and, and it sounds like you've had a couple of different, worn a couple of different hats there. So at what point do you decide like, I'm intrigued by speaking, I want to give this a shot? Started with the publication of my book, The Feedback Fix back in 2017. Originally that book was intended for the educational market, but my publishers pretty quickly decided that the message could resonate very well in a broader space. And so we recast the whole proposal as changing the way we give feedback, not just in a classroom, but in the boardroom and even around the dining room as well. Yeah. That book did really well and led to speaking. But that's, I think, where I first figured out the power of cold calling and how it can open some doors. Right. Before we get to the, the cold calling piece, how did you land on HR? Because you mentioned the, the feedback loop, but a, a lot of your, your background comes from the education space. So how did HR come into play? The book is primarily focused on how we can change a feedback message from looking back at a past that people can't change towards a future that they can. And it became pretty clear early on when I was doing some of the research for the book and talking to people who would become sort of narrative frames for that book this is a message that absolutely is needed in the HR space as well. In fact, I, for the book, I interviewed the chief people officer at Deloitte who said this is a problem everywhere in the business world and, and in corporate spaces. And so that became sort of a very friendly and welcoming space where they really wanted to hear that message as well. And in some ways, even coming from a nonprofit background, there isn't so much difference between the way people need to be motivated and coached and supported. I mean, ultimately, right. people are people. And so I think that's where the, the HR piece kind of spun off. Did you have any HR background, though, at all? Absolutely none. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> so I My mean, school you, has an HR director. That's about it. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. you, like, you've listened to the podcast a bunch, so you know, yeah. you know the importance of taking something that you want to speak on, so something like uh, feedback, where it could be applicable to a bunch of different audiences and a bunch of different contexts. Typically, you start with the low-hanging fruit, which is, obvious, which is usually going to be you know, anywhere that you have background or knowledge, which in your case would be education space. So how do you go from, hey, here's this topic that I know a lot about. Here's this book that I've got that's been successful. And now I'm going to step into this this market that I really, I'm, I'm somewhat unfamiliar with. And even though this, this topic could be universal and could speak to a bunch of different people, like why HR versus education or any of the other number of routes that you could have gone that you may have had more experience with? I think I listened to the messages that people were telling me. And when I heard from people in the HR space that this is something that could be very helpful to them in terms of guiding their people towards becoming better, I decided to explore that. It certainly helped that one of the story frames for the book and one of the one of the featured chapters is all about the chief people officer at Deloitte, which is one of the top five professional services uh, firms in the country. Uh, so that definitely pointed me in that way. And I guess as I did more intel, which you know, I, a tip I picked up from you, it was clear that this was something that could definitely resonate, and it has. So yeah. I think figuring out where the relevance can be is helpful. And as I did more of the cold calling 
both in preparation for this book and then later when it came to the speaking spin that, that came from it, I think that was really important to niche down, like you're saying, we've always talked about that, but also really keeping an open mind and an open ear to what others are telling you so that you can make sure that your message is landing in all the right places, even places you may not expect. It sounds like early on, and this, this seems to be the case with a lot of speakers early on, is it's a bit of, here's kind of my educated guess of what the market's looking for. And then I'm taking some market, f- I guess, to you're, you're kind of, uh, what is it, eating your own dog food of, of, I am taking feedback from the marketplace. I'm taking feedback from perhaps other colleagues or other speakers. And based on all of that, kind of making adjustments to, to figure out where this best works and kind of doing a lot of mini course corrections along the way. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely. Yeah. I think one of the very important analogies a speaker buddy that we both know gave me early on was that speaking, at least at first, is a lot like tuning an old radio, you know, like with the dial and sort of figuring out which station you're going to land on and tuning a little bit this way or that way until your message is being received clearly right. and being prepared to tune accordingly and not being afraid to make adjustments when necessary. So as you're like early on in your own career, as you're making some of those, like you're making big adjustments on the dial early on, and then you're slowly making more subtle adjustments. There's got to be points and along the way where you're just like, I, I'm turning the dial all the directions and I'm not like something's not working or something's not landing. Did you have any moments like that or any moments where you're kind of wondering if this is worth it or like what kept you going then? I think I really believe in the message that I'm sharing. So that call to service is definitely what drives me. I've always felt that speaking and people who listen to your podcast know this speaking is not about us. It's about our audience and how we can serve them best. So knowing that my message could really serve people and that my experience could provide a unique perspective on some of the things I was talking about definitely kept me going. But I think the part that surprised me most was um, some of the markets that I've broached into are, are definitely not markets that I knew anything about at first, but have now kind of become home. For example, digital marketing. I don't know anything about that. Mm-hmm. I have no idea how to do any of that stuff. But it became clear early on that that was a space that actually could also really resonate because people who work in creative roles are always giving feedback to each other, to themselves internally and also with their clients externally. And how to tune that message, how to right size it, how to give a critical message without it killing somebody else and how ultimately feedback can drive better creative results. That was a message that they wanted to hear and that I've been able to deliver as well. So let's talk about that for a second. Again, you don't have any digital marketing background, but the feedback message could obviously be relevant to them. So how do you first get your foot in the door in an industry where you're not necessarily like a, you know, a known name or anything, or you don't have any industry background or credentials, so to speak, that would make it easier for you to get your foot in the door? What happened there to get maybe that first gig? So that's really where the mechanics of cold calling helped. I reached out to an event planner who organizes a digital marketing summit, which can I give the name of it or should I hold it? Sure, sure. Okay. Digital Summit is a uh, content marketing and digital marketing series that I think puts on about 10 events throughout the year. And that's a space where I know some of the people you've had on the show have also spoken before. I think that's Uh where I first learned about it. Reached out to those guys, pitched the idea of having a non-industry speaker, showed them why I thought it could be good for them and good for their audiences. And I'm really gratified that in doing now, I think it's been five events for them. I have been one of the most highly rated speakers, not necessarily because of my speaking abilities, although I'd like to think that plays some role, but 
the perspective that I'm bringing and the topic that I'm talking about yeah. is so fresh and so different. I'm the only guy talking about soft skills. So huge, huge uh, hat tip to those guys for at Digital Summit for, for having the courage to allow me to participate in that and for seeing the wisdom in bringing external voices to their, to their program. But I assume like you, you found like once you got in for that first event, that it's a much easier to get in for others because one of the things that we, you know, you've heard us talk about is that, that event planners are in that, that risk mitigation business. And so nobody wants to be the first one. And exactly. so if, if someone takes the risk on you, you know, based on that rapport and relationship that you've built with them, then it is so much simpler within that, you know, that marketplace or within that small pond to, you know, like the digital marketing space. So once you get in with one event, it's, it's a little bit easier it becomes progressively easier to get in with others because someone's already taken that first risk. Have you found that to be the case? Absolutely. You know where else I saw that to be the case? I had the good opportunity just about a month ago to do a TEDx talk. And for me, it was also driven by a call to service. I had an idea based on a very, a very deeply personal experience that I had to share this message and to share it with the TED community. And I knew that it was important to be able to get that message out, but there's lots of great people with lots of great stories, lots of great talk ideas. So how do you stand out? And I think being driven by that call to service and being passionate about the idea and then using the mechanics of cold calling, which have served me well, both leading up to the publication of the book, after the publication of the book, served me well there also. And same idea, you know, from that one TEDx talk, I spoke to another curator who was like, you know, you ever have another idea, we'd love to put you on our stage as well because your message, your delivery, your your humanity was what really shone through and that's exactly what we want. So again, one domino tipped another. I'm not sure that I have another TED talk in me. You know, those are right, right. those are really personal. But again, like you're saying, just tip one domino and more will fall. So uh, we, we've kind of touched on the the cold calling aspect for a little bit now. So let's talk a little bit more about that. You mentioned uh, you know a time or two where you've used that for some speaking engagements. Are there other times where like you've used cold calling just to get your foot in the door with where again you may have been you know a relative unknown in that in that space or in that market? Yeah, it became kind of clear to me once I started doing some speaking that event planners really like thought leaders. <laughs> so I didn't have a lot of thought leadership outside of my own educational or training background to speak of. Yeah. So one day I'm reading an article on Inc. because I just, I like to read that stuff. And it occurred to me, you know what, I might be able to add some value here. So I literally stopped mid-sentence as that thought entered my head and reached out to the author of the article that I was reading at that moment who I knew a little bit, not very well, and said, hey man, can I, um, you know, can you put me in touch with your editor? I think I can add some value here. And one thing led to another, and after being persistent, but also really methodical, I now have a column at Inc. I write weekly there on collaboration and high-performance feedback. And it's cool, because I think that's another example where if you believe in your message and you have something of value to share, there really is no limit on what we can do if we're motivated to serve and we have something to share. Right. So cold calling is, it sounds like it's been very, very, you know, powerful and effective for you in terms of getting your foot in the door with a lot of these different opportunities, whether that's, you know, the column of ink or just speaking opportunities. Cold calling, obviously for most people is extremely, you know, nerve wracking and intimidating and, and scary. So can you kind of talk us through like what, uh, how, do, is this something that like you still struggle with or have fears about or how have you kind of overcome the, I guess the, the stigma and then the, the difficulty of cold calling? I think if you think about cold calling as a 
science and as a process, it's not as scary. Okay. It's scary to a lot of us only because we, we think of it as, I guess, putting ourselves in a very vulnerable position. Mm-hmm. And that fear of rejection and that fear of what others think of us and what they'll have to say about our ideas uh, holds a lot of us back. Again, and I said it a few times, but I really think this is so important, especially for some of the newer speakers who are out there. You really have to believe in what you're selling because people can sniff out fakes. I mean, you really have to be authentic and guided by deep, deep belief in what you're selling and and how you want to serve. Because if you do that, you don't feel so scared about the rejection. That inevitably happens, and we all face rejection in this business. Even experienced speakers are still getting rejected. Sure. So it's having that like inner strength and that belief in what you are, who you are, and the message you're sharing that will guide you through. But then there's kind of a science to it as I kind of look through like, okay, so like what are the principles of effective cold calling? And and I came up with four big rules. So maybe we can talk about that. Share yeah, it with your audience. Yeah, I want to hear it. Four rules, go. Okay, so number one, and this is the big misnomer, number of cold calling is that you have to go in hot. If, you, if you're going in cold <laughs> to a cold call, uh-huh. you will probably not be very successful. When I say go in hot, I'm talking about three things, three R's, research, relevance, and relatability. Number one, with research, you have to really do your homework. You talk about this all the time, Grant, and you have to ask yourself, okay, is the, is the person I'm reaching out to or the opportunity I'm looking to seize, is that a good fit for me? Mm-hmm. I speak about leadership and communication. So writing for Good Housekeeping or People Magazine is probably not a good market for me. It's not going to fit my needs. Right. So I never reached out to those guys because I'd probably get rejected. But I thought Inc. is a good fit because I'm kind of working in the same space as those guys. I'm entrepreneurial. I'm starting my own business. I know what it's like to juggle full-time work with the demands of starting your own gig and, and hustling. And that's a place where I feel like I can be part of the conversation and add value to it. Right. So research it, find that, find that niche. And this applies for speaking as well. If you're reaching out to a particular organization, particular uh, association, even a brand or a particular organization, you want to really make sure that your message is aligned. Once I started getting some spin in the HR space, I had no problem reaching out to the biggest HR conference in the country and landing a spot there. I mean, I had to to have some bona fides behind me, which came over time, but I felt that I can be part of that conversation because of some of the things I've done and people I've served. So number one, research. Two, relevance. Why are you a good fit for this? You know, what is it about your experiences, your expertise, that is going to add value. And if you're asking for an opportunity that is as much about you, you as them, so, you know, being a columnist at Inc., giving a TEDx talk, landing with a bureau, you know, which can provide some really nice opportunities for speakers, especially as they're starting off, you have to ask, why is this a good fit? Why me and why not someone else? And you have to find those points of connection which gets us to the third R, which is let me Let me jump in for a second. I'm, I'm curious yeah. on that second one. So like, how did you find the way to kind of 
I don't know, at the same time, like differentiate, but also endear yourself to them and make yourself more relevant. Because, you know, I think that, that brings up a great, great question that you, you raised there of why you, you know, if, uh, there's plenty of speakers who speak on the topic of or speak to HR professionals. So how I think a lot of speakers would find this kind of dichotomy between like, I'm trying to promote myself, but at the same time, I'm, I'm also like, there may be times where I'm second guessing what I'm doing. Yeah. Like, how do you find some of that confidence to say, listen, I'm a great fit for your event and here's why? I think the key to being a really good speaker is standing out. Our good friend, Connie Podesta, who I've had the chance to get to know really well recently, love her stuff and she's one of the best of the best. Connie always talks about how you stand out on stage. And part of that, I think, is finding connection points, which is that third R, relatability. Mm-hmm. and how, how you can connect to that decision maker on the other side. When it was the chief people officer at Deloitte, through my research, I found out that his mother was a teacher. And so that's kind of an uncommon commonality, as, as Adam Grant says. And that's, by the way, another example of cold calling. When I needed to get blurbs for my book, I didn't know how to get endorsements. My publisher said, go out and get some endorsements. And I'm like, <laughs> I guess my mother would write something for me. You know, she right, liked it, right. but I didn't know how to talk to these people. So again, there too, finding those uncommon commonalities, Adam Grant, blurb for the book, Marshall Goldsmith, who's the world's leading executive coach, blurb for the book and wrote the forward. These are great people who, again, are are very generous with their time, but I think are looking for the right projects to support. And if you can find a way to make them see the value in your project, but also in you because of the connections that you have to their work and the influence that they have had on you in your own work, Right. They're much more likely to say yes. So that's the relatability. These uncommon commonalities, things that make us stand out and you know stick in these people's minds. Got it. Cool. So you got research, relevance, relatability. Mm-hmm. So that's, like it. that's all in going in hot. And okay. if you don't go in hot, you're going to get fried. Okay, so you got to do that. The next is to make it about them. And this is kind of sales 101. And I think speakers who are in a sales cycle, they understand this that whether you're on stage or off stage, it always has to be about the client and the people on the other end of your service or product. Right. So calling attention to a way that these individuals have impacted you. So in the case of Adam Grant and Marshall Goldsmith, these are people who are not just you know famous in their fields. They are people who have had a deep and lasting impact on my own work. And so I made sure they knew that uh, right off the bat. And when I think... I wrote to them, I'm pretty sure that that's the first thing I said was, I'm writing to you because you have made a major impact on my life. And I think people like to know that their work has meaning and it has an impact and it's, you know, making a dent in the universe. And so call that out, call attention to the way that people have impacted you. And if it's a conference or an association you're looking after, say, hey, I went to your, I went to that association event or I, or I heard some of your other speakers at your event last year and I want to add the same value that they did. Again, you're making it about impact. Also keep it short and sweet. I mean, this goes without saying, but if you are writing a manifesto to someone who does not know you, that is basically the equivalent of walking up to someone on the street and proposing marriage. <laughs> you know, you, you cannot go all in before there's some sort of relationship. You talk about this grant in terms of your follow-up process with potential leads. Keep it short and sweet. Don't drop the kitchen sink on people and give it just a little bit of info, enough info to to be meaningful, but not too much that it's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And finally, let them know why you're reaching out to them specifically. 
when we cold call, we're usually reaching out to a person or an organization or an opportunity that is above our grade, right? So whether that's an influencer who is going to blurb for your book or an association you're trying to break into or a client or brand that you're just trying to land a speaking gig with, there's an imbalance. We're on the underside of that equation. And so let them know why them, because there's lots of influencers and lots of associations and lots of big brands. So again, find that really specific point of connection and why you're reaching out to them specifically. So I'm curious in all that, just from like a logistics standpoint, we've talked about this in the frame of, of cold calling, but it sounds like the bulk of this is, is this done over phone or is this done over email or how is most of this happening? Most of it is email and through social channels. LinkedIn is a huge resource that's been really helpful for me. I tend to do most of my activity there, not really active on Facebook or Twitter. Those can be, or Instagram, those, those can be really good channels depending on your end buyer. Right. Um, but for me, my end buyer is, is all LinkedIn. The, the audiences I'm speaking to, that's where they live. So I'm not really active in the Twitterverse or on Facebook, but LinkedIn has been very fruitful in terms of finding, sourcing, and then maintaining lead gen has been real good. But yeah, I guess cold call, it's the equivalent of like for speakers waiting for the phone to ring, you know, right. with an event planner. The, the phone never rings. I mean, I don't know about you. Right. My phone has never rang ever. <laughs> it's all come in digitally. And so I guess cold email would be the way I've been able to accelerate some opportunities for myself and my business. But yeah, it's the same mechanics. I think you raise a good point there too, that it also depends on, I guess, the medium that the other person that you're trying to connect with, where they are. So for some people, they live and die on Twitter or Instagram or email or Facebook Messenger or whatever it may be. So kind of paying attention to where they are and maybe even like any type of connection that you two have reaching out to them through that medium or through that connection. So I can think of like so various people that I've connected with through various sources that I wouldn't necessarily connect with someone else on that source, but that person and I had some type of interaction there. So therefore, it makes sense to connect with them there. Absolutely. Got it. All right. So you've got the number one going in hot. Number two was to make it about them. Now you gave a couple other sub points in there. Are those three and four or did I, are those just no, sub? No, sub that's right. Yeah. Going hot, make it about them. And then I've got three and four. Perfect. All right. Keep going. Number three. Make it easy to say yes. Do you know how many times we get in our own way? I mean, it's so frustrating sometimes to get that rejection. But if you're reflective about why those rejections are coming in and you look at the way you're doing your outreach, you may come to realize that you are the problem. And I saw that pretty quickly when I started doing this. I mean, I definitely got a very swift taste of rejection. And I then used that as an opportunity for reflection and learning and said, well, why is this happening? Why am I coming up against some walls? And that led me to really dig in and pivot and think that adaptability and willingness to learn and try things different ultimately enabled greater success. How do you get people to say yes to you? Number one, make a specific request. <laughs> You'd be surprised. I'm now getting some of these cold calls myself, having you know been active and, and had a taste of success in some of these areas. I'm now on the receiving end and I see these mistakes being made by a lot of people that not only are they getting in their own way, they're making it hard for me to say yes. I may right, want right. to say yes. I like them, but, but they're not giving me a specific request. They're not defining any time parameters. So if you're asking to speak at an association, 
you're not even asking like what is your timetable for making a decision you're just like tooting your own horn you're making it all about yourself and why you're so amazing but why don't you like stop and make a specific request and ask a question that they can then answer so this can become a conversation and not a monologue right and finally an example of like, what, like what like yeah. what type of questions to be asking or what type of like specific requests to be making in the speaker realm when i reached out to a couple of clients and i actually with one financial services group that I spoke for recently, this is exactly how I did it. I said, hey, here's why I think we're a great fit for each other. Here's how I think I can serve you. I know who you brought out last year to your event. I think that I can add a unique perspective, again, making it all about them. Mm -hmm. That's like a sentence or two. And then you say, are you reviewing speakers for your 2019? And if so, what's your timetable for making a decision? Yeah. So I have given a very specific request and I've set time parameters, and then they will usually write back. And that's a Grant Baldwin tip right there. Right. So making it easy for them to say yes is huge. And with that, like when I reached out to a couple of bureaus to get listed with them, because I thought that might be helpful. That might just be a, an accelerant. And I've gotten some spin from that. Mm -hmm. And I'm in formation with a management company. I don't want to say their name yet because we're not formal together, but looks like it's headed that way. But same thing. I said, look, here's why I think we'd be a great fit. I think it can add value to your roster. And let me make it easy for you to say, yes, here's my speaker reel. Here's some thought leadership I've done. Here's a link to my book. Here's a link to my website, link to my social. Grant, this whole thing is a paragraph. This right. is not a dissertation, you know? And ultimately they can say yes, because they don't have to do any homework now. Right. I've taken all that off their plate. Make it easy for them to say yes. Get out of your own way. Give them the resources that you know they're going to ask for. So just kind of be a little empathetic. Put yourself in their place and ask yourself, if I was on the receiving end of this cold call or cold email, what would I want to know about this person? And then do everything that you think of because they're thinking the same thing. Cool. I like it. All right. What's the last one? Number four. This is the most important of all. And it's one that I think a lot of people don't do. And that's show gratitude. I think in this business, especially early on, we have to expect nothing and appreciate everything. Yeah. Because like you said, that first domino is a real tough domino to knock down. And I felt that definitely in the first three to six months that I embarked on my speaking journey. Now, about 18 months later, I look back at that first gig and I literally have framed not only the card that I got back from them, thanking me for being part of the event. I actually have that first email interaction that we ever had because to me, that's where it all starts. And it reminds me about how grateful we have to be to have this chance to serve and to receive these wonderful opportunities. Ultimately, I don't know how grateful you have to be if you deliver an amazing speech, right? Because then they'll be thanking you. <laughs> you. If you knock the socks off that talk and you deliver incredible value, they'll be thanking you. You still have to be appreciative and all that. I love some of the things you've talked about, about follow-up and gratitude post-event. But ultimately, they'll be thanking you. But, but all, at, at first, you got to be thanking them and have that appreciation. Expect nothing and appreciate everything. And ultimately, if you are landing these opportunities, let these people know how they helped you. Yeah. Sometimes people feel like, I, I put myself out there for this guy, but I never heard from him afterwards. Well, it looks like he's doing okay, but you know, I wish he would have told me himself. I made a point when... My book debuted as a number one new release back in 2017 on Amazon. I wrote Marshall Goldsmith and Adam Grant and said, guys, I just want to let you know how appreciative I am and that thanks 
to the strength of your endorsement. I think this book kind of got up there in the face of some audiences that it might not otherwise. I really want to just express my deep gratitude to you for that. Or the guy who gave me my first speaking gig. I call him, I would say every quarter and I thank him and give him just a quick update of, you know what? You were my first domino. You were my first kiss. And I've had a lot of really exciting things happen as a result of that first kiss, that first domino. And I want to just thank you again and let you know how much your trust and your generosity meant to me. And I think the more grateful we are to people, the more willing they are to help us down the road and the more good we're bringing to the world. Yeah. That's such a great point. I was just going back to people that helped you originally to get going when they took a huge risk, they took a flyer on you and to see how it panned out. So to recap here, you got going in, uh, going in hot and just doing that research, making sure that you're staying relevant with them and the re- relatability. Second thing was to make it about them, let them know why they should consider working with you specifically, and then make it easy for them to say yes, make a specific request, put time parameters on that. And then number four, showing gratitude. I like that also line that you use, expect nothing and appreciate everything. Now, one of the things that just kind of like zooming out here and looking at this process, I mean, the, the reality is, as you all know, that this is hard. Like this is really, really difficult as much as we would like to just throw together some emails and send them and, and kind of that spray and pray approach. Everything that we just outlined here, it works, it's effective, but it's just, it's very, very difficult. What would you say to that? If it was easy, then everybody would do it. Sure. <laughs> I mean, we, yeah, you talk about this all the time, Grant, and, I, and you were probably the first time I heard this message come through loud and clear was right here on Speaker Lab. And folks, I got to tell you, you can do great things in this world, but you've got to be prepared to work hard to make that happen. Yeah. And having a system, having a support system, not just a system for tracking your, your leads, but a support system of people who can keep you up and going. For us, Grant, it's that group we belong to on Facebook. It's my kitchen cabinet friends and colleagues. It's my wife and kids who, by the way, are super stoked that we're having this conversation today because they've heard (laughs) your voice in my kitchen, I think for like about a year and a half now. And they're like, oh, it's Grant. You're talking to Grant. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm talking to Grant today. It's gonna be awesome. So they're they're gonna be excited when this thing drops. But uh, have those people around you who keep you honest and keep you going because it's so easy to fall off that wagon. But if you believe in yourself and you believe in your message, and you genuinely, and I stress, genuinely believe that you have a valuable message to share and that you have a unique perspective on how to share it, there is nothing holding you back but you. So go grab it. Very well said. Well, Joe, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us, to hang out with us. If, if people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, where can we go? Best place is joehirsch.me, H-I-R-S-C-H dot M-E. Whoever has joehirsch.com, thanks a lot, buddy. Appreciate that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Although I think I get more web traffic than him these days. And LinkedIn, Twitter, all that good stuff. Cool. Hey, on that note, I'm always curious about domain names. So someone else has the .com. Have you tried to buy it or tried to reach out to him? I did not because when I started out, I was very budget conscious and could not afford the $5,000 he was asking for it. (laughs) Um, So in the end, if you're good enough and you give enough value, they'll come to you. So thankfully that's been happening. Yeah. Cool, man. Very cool. Well, Joe, thanks for the time, man. We appreciate it. Thanks, Grant. Appreciate it. 
All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Joe Hirsch. Again, if you want to check out his work, stop by and check out Joe Hirsch, H-I-R-S-C-H, joehirsch.me. Again, that's joehirsch.me. Hey, like I mentioned at the beginning, we'd love for you to join us for one of our upcoming free trainings where we're going to walk through exactly how to find and book paid speaking engagements. So definitely stop by, check that out over at freespeakerworkshop.com. Again, that's freespeakerworkshop.com. Register for one of those trainings and we look forward to connecting with you there. All right, my friends, that wraps up episode 223. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.